we're going to talk about hope today. And it may seem like an interesting subject, but it's vital. You know, several of these subjects we've talked about are really vital to us fulfilling God's plan for our life or doing God's will or just living the life that He's called us to live. So in Acts 27, uh, we'll, we'll bow our heads because I would think everybody's there by now or almost. And uh, we'll pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for speaking to hearts and lives and continuing the work that you've already begun. I believe, Lord, before we leave, that people will be so marked by you and changed by you, by your spirit, through your word. We give you glory in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 27, a interesting story. We're going to kind of cut into it a little bit. But here in Acts 27, verse 13, Paul has, uh, is on a journey. He's a prisoner. He's obeyed God. He's heading to Rome. He's on a, a ship as a prisoner, and they get into trouble. Paul had said we shouldn't go. They didn't listen, and they went. And so in the 13th verse, it says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out, from, uh, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Arachlidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. In other words, they were trying to go forward, and this contrary wind that had its own name, probably like something like we'd call today a hurricane, a cyclone, this just had a big-time wind, and they're in a sailing ship, and all of a sudden it's hitting them in the face, and it's going against the way they want to go. And all of a sudden they have to let, you know, lift the sails and kind of go with it. And it says they, you know, they let the ship drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, uh, we secured the skiff with difficulty. So they're tying stuff on, trying not to lose anything. And it says, verse 17, And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sardis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven." So you think about this, this wooden ship that they're on, it, I mean, it's getting worse by the minute. They had to put cables underneath the boat and tighten them around it just to hold the thing together. And I mean, this thing is going. And here in verse 18, it says, And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with, uh, with their own hands. So one day, they get rid of all the non-essential stuff. Then the stuff that makes the ship work, you know, whatever, anything they could, they just start throwing stuff overboard. And it says, and on the third day, we threw, verse 19, the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. So hope, they had hope at one point, even in the middle of the storm. They had hope. What is hope? Hope is a positive expectation about something in the future. Jesus' return is called the hope of our salvation, the hope of his return. We have positive things out in front. And what happened was when hope was gone, they got into despair. They thought, this is it. We're dead. It's over. And I know this, in life, there are things that will come to you in the troubled times of life and just in life to try to rob you of hope. I mean, it's their purpose. In, in World War II, World War you know, different world wars, there's prisoners, Vietnam. Vietnam was really publicized, though. You know, it became the, one of the wars that was really done on TV, one of the first ones. But during that war, we know that there were prison camps where they would take people and do heinous things to them. 
and torture them. But one thing that they did was they would work to rob them of hope. They would take hope away from them. How'd they do it? Well, they would be in the prison and then they would have guards that would come in there and say, well, we got letters from your family. Your wife's leaving you and your kids have left. They have a new dad. You're not the dad anymore. They've got a new one. What are they doing? Trying to rob people of hope so they become despaired. And they feel like there's no future for me. There's nothing out there that's bright. There's nothing good. If I get out of this place, what does it even matter? And they're probably telling them all kinds of things like, we're winning this war, you'll never get out. And what happened was a lot of those prisoners committed suicide and just gave up and died. But a lot of them that made it had some kind of hope alive in their life about a brighter future. And here, these people, it says, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. They surrendered any hope. You know and I mean? Even the sailors did. They just gave up hope. And that was it. And they were in despair. And I'll tell you what, we may not be in a prison in Vietnam, but sometimes when the wind blows, or it seems like we've been in a place a little while, there will be thoughts to your head too that will say, yeah, but it hasn't happened yet. What that is is trying to take away the good-looking picture to replace it with a picture that is not good about the future. Because, you know, if you don't have anything good to look forward to in the future, how dreary is it? What happens is life becomes unbridled when you lose hope. In other words, your lifestyle will begin to change when the future is not bright. You can become self-destructive when the future is not bright for you. And we're, I believe, going to look at some scriptures that, that discuss that. But when people don't have a bright future... And here's the thing, a bright future is not just a mental picture you make up. I'll tell you what, this world is not portraying something more beautiful every day. But there is hope for the believer. I mean, think about it. Here we see all hope is lost. They've even, it's wild as they even went against God, hope is lost. Is hope always lost? No. Not really, meaning for the believer. But you notice this, at verse 20, it begins to pick up the story again. And something happened. Now I will say this before we start reading. Understand this, anything that comes to you to rob hope. Hope in the Greek literally doesn't mean we wish. It means a positive, Godward expectation. In other words, it's really God's picture about something good out in front of you. In all reality, that's how Jesus made it through the tough time. You know, in Hebrews 12, when he went to the cross, the Bible said that he despised that present shame and endured the cross. How? Because he saw what was ahead. Don't ever lose what's out there, the picture that's out there that God has given you that's out ahead because of some present circumstances. That's how he, Jesus, was able to endure. That's why the Bible tells us in that context we are to look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Now, it wasn't a joy for him to go to the cross. He wasn't like, woo, guys, I'm so excited about this. They're going to nail me with big old nails and they're going to whip me i've already read in the old testament now i don't know you guys may not be a student of the word like me peter but there's scripture there that says the furrows will run deep you know furrows are what a plow does and my bones will look back at me so i'm going to be able to look down and see right through my flesh Woo-hoo! no he despised he called it the shame of that looking to the glory that was ahead. What was beyond that present thing was a help to all of humanity. That he would someday sit in heaven 
as the savior of the world and make a way for hopeless humanity. And so he looked beyond. That helped him endure. And that's why it's so important for us to not let go of hope because when you're in the middle of something, you need something beyond. You do. Or otherwise, you become aimless. And that's not good. And you can become very self-destructive. That's why people commit suicide sometimes. They, they just don't understand that, that things, even no matter how bad they are, could be better. And they become hopeless. And hopeless is something out in front that makes you want to drive to it. Now remember this, hope is not just something out there. It's something in you as a believer. That you need to realize. And we're going to talk about how it comes and how you can cultivate it and what God does in that area for you. And so here we see in verse 20, it says, Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. That's a dark day. That's a dark time. No hope. It's gone. And it wasn't a small tempest. These were big waves beat on us. All hope that we should be saved finally was given up. Verse 21. But after long abstinence. In other words, Paul left them for a time. He left them for a time. You know what's interesting? Just to go back and think about that. No sun, no stars. It's dark, cloudy, rainy, wind, waves. Paul, this was not his only time he had ever been there. He had been there in the prison and, and other times, but he had been there in prison before in Acts 16 where it was the midnight hour where, you know, maybe he should have lost hope. But he lifted up his voice and he praised God and they prayed and, man, God began to move when they prayed. I said God began to move. I wasn't going to read this verse, but I'm going to now. Acts 16. I mentioned this a little bit in prayer the other day, but it's an interesting story because Paul is bound. He's doing God's work, but there was an answer for Paul to get out. And Paul had already had a word. He said, God told him, he said, I'm going to deliver you. You're going to be in prison. Some bad stuff is going to come, but I'm going to deliver you out of all of it. And I just like Paul. He's different, but he's no different than you. Because you have divine life if you're saved. You have God living in you if you're saved. You don't have a different God, a different salvation, maybe a different calling, but the same God. And so here, and it's, this may be a very familiar verse of Scripture to people, it's real interesting. Uh, verse 26. Well, we'll go back a little further. And the keeper of the prison, he's prayed, they've praised God, they're locked up, the prison shakes, everybody's doors open, everybody's chains are loosed. Paul never lost hope. And I like his attitude. We'll read verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew out his sword and was about to kill himself because if he didn't, he would have been killed if they left. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul said, This will affect you if you believe, and it will affect your family if they believe. He said, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. So Paul, through this time of praise, gets set free 
And he still lives a life of purpose to reach these people. But I just like Paul's attitude because if you, we usually stop right there. But what I like is Paul's attitude here is uh, he got thrown in under bad circumstances. He wasn't about to just get out a certain way. It's interesting. He, he locked himself back up or went back in. You ever read the Bible? Verse 34, and it says, Now when they had uh, brought them into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having uh, believed in God with all his family. So they're just super excited. Man, and they're born again. Paul knows what it is. He had been converted years before and was born again too. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to you or to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Man, Paul, Paul got out by praising God. And he went right back in and said, No, that's not how I'm doing it. And they came and said, You can go free. And Paul grabbed the bars and said, No. He did. But Paul said to them, verse 37, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they put us out secretly. Paul said, no. We're doing this on our terms. We serve God. Think about it. God tried to get him out. He said, no. Then word came, and they said, no. He said, we're doing this on our terms, the way I want it done. And he said, I'm uncondemned. You're going to let me go out the back door? No. He said, no, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And notice it says they were uncondemned Romans, and they've thrown us into prison, and now they put us out secretly. To be a Roman and to be condemned was you to be have something done to you by somebody non-roman or even to a roman uncondemned was huge you could die for it paul said i'm roman you don't get to do this to me you're a christian you're a believer you're part of the kingdom of god there are certain things that just don't get to happen to you and if you let them or they begin to happen, you can do something about it. And notice this. He said, these officers, uh, you know, they, they had come themselves and got us out to let them out. Verse 38, and the officers told the words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. He's on his third stint. He is. Then they came and pleaded with him, or with them, and brought them out. Because remember, he said, you got to take us out of here. There's just some things when the devil tries to mess with you in life, you just don't go out in secret and just go out the back door. No, you are the one who is to rule and reign. And there is a way to triumph and live victorious and not just let that boss you around. He was basically saying, this isn't going to happen again either, guys. You messed with somebody who has rights and privileges. We as believers have rights and privileges. And he said this, and he asked them, to, then they asked him to depart from the city. So they took him out in peace, and they said, okay, now, would you please leave our city? And Paul just said, okay. No, he didn't. He didn't walk out of the city. It said, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brother, they encouraged him, them, and then they departed. I like that. Paul lived above things and lived a life of divine purpose. I'll tell you what, God has a bright future even when it's dark. And there is a way that he works it in you that can be independent of circumstances. 
And it's really what we call hope. Now notice this, if you go back to Acts, the 27th chapter and the 20th verse, it says, or the 21st verse, it says, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. How many of us have ever wanted to say that? Uh, you know, I told you so. You should have listened. We could probably say, you know, at some point in our life, ah, I wish I would have done better listening to God. But that doesn't mean all hope is gone. All hope had now been surrendered. There's no more hope. There is no positive expectation outside of God, and there was none even in God at this time other than with Paul. There, all hope is lost. There is no bright future. It had been dark so long, they just thought, we're going down in this darkness, and that is it. And so, verse 21 said, but after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. I should write Mark this scripture better because then I could use this sometime when I talk to someone. You should have listened to me. God probably put this so I would know too. You should have listened to me. Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Because he told them, You're gonna, we're going to all die. And they thought, we're good enough, we can do this on our own, we can do this the way we want to do it, we can travel the path we want to travel. And verse 22 said, and now I urge you to take heart. Or in other words, be encouraged. They had lost all courage, they had lost all heart, which means they had no hope. But notice this, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship, for there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord, or God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you. So that means he was praying for all of them, not just himself. Oh God, you got to deliver me. He was praying for everybody else too. And God granted everybody else to him. If you're in a hard time, don't just try to rescue yourself. Pray for others too. God will rescue them too. And he didn't just give hope to Paul by giving him a word because that's how he got hope, is a word from God. A word from God. A word from God painted a brighter future for Paul. And not only for Paul, but everybody on the ship. And he said to them, he said, I've granted them to you, all of them, those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, or you can have hope again. He said, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. He basically said, listen, I trust what God said. I trusted what he said before, but I've talked to him, and now he gave us a different word. And though the ship will be lost, now this is how it's going to be. So he said, take heart. In other words, there's a bright future. There's something good ahead. He had already bought into it. He was like, man. He had already started, he was about to change what he had been doing too because of this new hope. He had quit eating. The people had quit eating. You know, when people lose hope and they get depressed and really depressed, people sometimes lose their appetite. It'll make them almost sick to their stomach. These people are sitting there with no hope. They haven't eaten for days. Paul hadn't, but he'd been praying. God spoke to him. And then he explains what's about to occur. Verse 26, he says, However, we must run aground on a certain island. So this angel that appeared to him showed him just how it was going to play out. And he said, Now, when the 14th, uh, 14th night had come, as we had been driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, about midnight, 
the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to the land and they took soundings and so on and so forth to check where they were at. But anyway, they had actually taken food. Paul changed and it said that the people didn't even, weren't about to do it. But when they saw Paul doing it, they took courage. And here's the thing. When you get courage in your heart, it is transferable. When you get hope about a bright future and somebody sees you that you've walked with God and you go, man, it's okay, I'll tell you what, it it can affect other people who have no bright future for tomorrow. You can't always look at other people for a bright future. You cannot watch the news and think you're going to be encouraged with a bright future. So this hope does not come from this world. Turn to Romans, if you will, the 15th chapter. Here's what you need to understand concerning hope. Hope is not just something mental you fabricate. Hope, real divine hope, is something that is formed within you. Hope from God is like a propellant. It will, it's a, something that drives you. It's an internal drive. When you have hope or an expectation, God will deal with you about the future, and it'll seem like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm at, and this is what He has for me. When that really lives in you, it becomes a driving force. When it's not living in you, that drive disappears. And this stuff really comes out of our walk with God. Not just being mechanical, but really out of a relationship with God, this hope springs. And it becomes a driving force. When there is hope in you or a Godward word about something in the future and things like that, what it does is it causes you to want to lurch forward and push forward. You know, if you've ever done work before and, you know, you were maybe working on something and thought, man, I'm just going to quit. I can't get this done. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're digging something out and all of a sudden it starts to break loose and you go, I think I can get this. Uh, What it does is it creates a natural hope in you that I I can win. We'll come back tomorrow. No, you go, I can do this. And I'll tell you what, God does that with us. He tries and endeavors. That's why our relationship with God is a two-way street. He works things in His people and paints a good picture for the future, even if we, but He's already painted a picture of the earth as it's going to get worse as the end comes. He has. But He said, be good cheer because I overcame the world. Then He painted a good picture and talks about a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So there is a parallel to the negative in the world. But the only way you're going to find it, you can have a fake one, but you can have a real hope from God. Meaning, real hope does come from God. Other stuff is just false. And notice this. I want to look at a few things about how to get hope, because there's a few verses I want to read here. But here in in, um, Romans 15, hope comes... Through the scripture. Hope comes through the written word of God. But remember this. The hope you get from the word of God actually comes from God dealing with you out of his word. That's why when we read the Bible, it shouldn't just be, well, I'm supposed to read the Bible. It should be an opportunity for God to deal with you when you read. It should be more than just, I need to know six verses because this person challenged me, so I've got to just undo their challenge and whip them. I'm not saying we shouldn't contend for the faith. The Bible tells us to do that. But our faith walk should just not be about arguing with people who's right. But it should be where God deals with you and something gets in you that's alive and living from God. And one of the things that will come in you is a divine hope or an incredible picture about the future. Paul had one and he was whipped, beaten, imprisoned, robbed, 
his hope, that divine drive that drove him through all that he went through was from God. And there are things in the Bible that tell us how to get it. So it's not just I got to read the Bible. It's I need a relationship with the Lord. And my relationship with the Lord is him dealing with me out of his word. And when he deals with me out of his word, a light's going to come on. That's why the Bible said the entrance of his words bring light. What does that do? It makes you come out of the dark. It causes you to be able to see things different. It will put an expectation in you about something good. That's what happened to him. All hope was lost. I mean, think about this. If anybody had went, you know, Paul's a preacher, and he got all the people together on the ship, and he was about to preach a sermon. He's all right, everybody. He had the worst group to preach to. There was no hope there. Everybody was in despair. He didn't say, everybody shout to the Lord. We're going to shout for a minute, right? Woo! And they're all... They had nothing to shout about. Nothing. And he's like, glory to God, it's going to be just like the angel told me. They had to get it in them to change. He could have shouted and danced, you know, ran around. Woo, I'm telling you what. But when they, he took heart and they took heart, they got it. When they watched him and accepted the word. And I'll tell you what, hope comes out of the word. God needs to deal with you in his word. That's why you should feed on the word. Just like food. Hey, we know that if we eat enough food, it'll attach itself to us. Serious. You just eat it and eat it and eat it. And then eat some extra, and it'll start attaching itself to you. You won't just be burning it after a while. If you eat, that's why the Bible said, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus said that. But by every word. Because really, life and hope comes from his word. And you eat it in your relationship with him, and it'll start to stick to you. And what you'll get is hope, amongst other things. And that's the big thing. Sometimes people say, well, I'm too busy. I pray a little bit when I drive. Listen, we need it like we need food. I just pray a little bit when I drive. That's all I got. No, you need this. It will help you immensely to be purposeful about this. So here in Romans 15, 4, it says, And whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Good. That we... Through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures. So what does he mean, the patience and comfort of the Scripture? When he uses the word patience there, it, patience would be good for us to really get this in us. So I use this occasionally because sometimes we get a wrong idea of patience. Uh, patience isn't just getting beat from pillar to post and, you know, if somebody's meaner than you, you've got to act a certain way. Patience just literally means to be consistent. When I'm patient in the grocery store line, that means I'm not out there fussing with everybody, getting down, getting up, woo, line's moving, oh, it's not moving, oh. No, I'm consistent. That's what patience is. So he talks about the patience of the Scriptures. There is consistency in God. He comes through for His people. That is a consistent theme in the Bible. And so we can get comfort from that too. But the consistency and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You might get hope. You might get a good picture about the future. Turn with me to Psalms 119. We're going to come back to that 15th chapter, I believe, here. But Psalms 119. This is the longest psalm in the Bible, and it's got interesting stuff in it, and it's really a psalm about the Word of God and about the Bible and about what God says to us. And if you notice here in Psalm 119, verse 49, it says, Remember... Remember, I'll let you turn, remember. But this guy is actually speaking this to God. He's talking to God. That's why I said hope comes out of our relationship with God. A real driving force 
You know, if you're seeing people so zealous in the things of God, it's because hope has a place in them. They have a bright picture about things and how things can be and should be in God. And so it says, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. One thing you need to remember is what has the Lord dealt with you about out of the Word? And what has He dealt with you about concerning your life and your future and how things are? He said, He even said to him, Remember your Word, Lord, that you gave me. God's not going to be the one that's going to fail here. But sometimes we do need to remind the Lord, not for His sake, but for our own benefit. Remember, you dealt with me about this. Remember, you... You specifically gave me a scripture. You dealt with me by your spirit. He said, you gave me this. He said, I put my hope or my expectation in it. And whenever he deals with you, you should put your hope in it. Because he is not going to fail. And so if it's really from him and we follow after, we don't have to be bothered. He can revive hope. By reviving a word he has given to you. And when you see a fresh thing in the word of God, or even some old stuff, and you go back over things that maybe have sat dormant for years, you should go read them again. Because you want to make sure you keep your hope in what? In what he has said. He said that. He said, upon which you have caused me to hope. In other words, he gave me you gave me, or he gave me, a good word. But he's talking to him. You gave me a word about this in the future. And, and you said some pretty good stuff. You caused me to put an expectation in that. I'm telling you, as we look at some of these things as we move on, you'll notice that hope, without it, people don't do certain things. That's why I said knowing God's plan or living out God's plan, this is like a driving force behind people that makes them want to do. Now, you can be a hard worker, but it is good to have something in you from him. So the first place we're going to find hope, or one place we're going to find hope, is in his word through our relationship with him and through things he deals with our hearts about. That's important. Paul had goofed the whole thing up. And God gave him a new word to get his heart back, to get hope back, to get courage back. You out there? He literally heard from the Lord and he got hope back and then his whole boat congregation got hope back too. So hope though comes by the Spirit. Turn to Romans 15. Hope comes when we trust and by the Spirit. Notice this. That's why our relationship with God is vital. Your time with God, your personal relationship. If you have a relationship with a person, you know, and people do, there are some relationships that just seem to drain and other relationships that seem to fill. And I'll tell you what, this relationship with God is not to be a draining thing. It's to be a filling thing. It is to be something that fills you. And that His Spirit gets to work in you so you get charged, so to speak. Not just with His presence, but with a divine hope, a picture, something good about the future. And when it's in you, it will begin to change your course. It will start inside, and once it gets in there, it will begin to change you outwardly. So notice this in Romans uh, 15, 13. It says, now may the God of hope. You know, he's called the God of peace. And he's called other things, but it's interesting how he, when he addressed peace like in Philippians, the fourth chapter, he calls him, now may the God of peace. And he was teaching them to walk in peace and how that they had to keep their minds on things and not get full of worry and stuff like that. And he told him, and he, and he, and he uses an interesting statement. He didn't just call him God. He calls him the God of 
peace. If God is anything, he's peace. But if you go over to James, the fifth chapter, where it talks about patience and patience and patience and perseverance and endeavoring, and it talks about there, if you read from the first verse on, how that people have been working in the fields and working and doing stuff, and he talks about it being in the latter times, how that wages that belonged to them were held back by fraud. They didn't get, and these were his people, what they should have been getting. And so they had been praying to God about it because they should have had more money than they had. But it was kept back and it wasn't given to them and it wasn't theirs, but it belonged to them. And it's interesting, when he uses those terms, he said, the wages of those who had been kept back cry out to God. In other words, God saw what belonged to them, and it said the cries of the reapers, so the people who it belonged to called out. And it talks about how that God intends to get it to them like he did with Job. But it's interesting, but then he uses this term, he does one of these things, you, earlier on, you see him as God the Father in the context of being things being held back from you. He's called the Lord of Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, the God of armies. And the Lord is the one who fights for you. It's interesting how he uses names when God's God. He's our Father, but he's not Father to the world. He uses terms that are meaningful, and here he does it again. He uses a meaningful term about God to identify something for you. He noticed, he said here in the 13th verse, he said, Now may the God of expectation and good things fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound, overflow, in hope or expectation. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By your own might. By His power. That's why I say this is huge because your own relationship out of it, you might think, well, I'm just spending time. And No, what happens is it's a two-way street. You know, I, I was somewhere the other day and uh, there was a corridor and I had just briefly saw a woman walk by. And I was a ways from the corridor, and I walked up, and I had to turn and go down this corridor. And there was some outside area. It wasn't, like, enclosed in a building. I couldn't even see her up ahead. I turned the corner and went, I know what she's wearing. You could smell her. Now, not bad. It was good, okay? She was long gone, but something was left behind. I'll tell you what, there are things that are just transferred by our association. And when we spend time with God, it'll soak and saturate you, but then He'll work stuff in you too. And one thing, if you're just walking with Him, talking with Him, hanging out with Him, He'll get it through His Word, but by His Spirit. You can't just spend time praising God for a while and not think it's not going to affect you. I'll tell you what, He will work internally. Sometimes we just need to stay with it. He starts moving, you'll start going, Whew, glory to God. But it doesn't matter. He will work things in you, and one thing He will work in you is an expectation about the future and about life. So He will do it by His Spirit. Another way is this, is having a hope literally about his return turn to first john and this truth really i'm skipping over things for time's sake here but first john 3 is interesting because it really shows the effect of true hope that has found its way into the heart of the believer like I said, it will propel you, it will drive you, it'll cause you to have an inward want and just a uh for something. You know, that's why I say be careful of those things that try to rob hope. Because what it tries to do is take your drive away. 
because it takes the picture away of this can change. And this is the way God has intended things to be. Notice this. This, I believe, is what should be a kind of a bedrock, a part of a found, the foundation for us. One of the great things that people recognize when they first get saved is, I've got a golden ticket like Willy Wonka. I get to go to heaven when I die. And people get excited about that. We should never lose hope of that because it will drive us to reach the lost. But it will also keep a drive in us for something beyond every temporal thing that comes our way. Jesus looked to the time he'd be at the right hand of the throne of God. He had a hope for the future. It was something good. Don't ever, this has to be embedded in us. And when it does, it will begin to revolutionize your life. Notice this, 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. I find that such an interesting way of using words because the world has come to the place now that, that virtually everybody believes God loves them, at least in our country. You know, oh, God loves us. We all, God loves everybody. God loves everybody. God loves everybody. And then they think because God loves everybody, everybody is on equal ground. They do. They think everybody is on equal ground. Well, God loves us. He'll have to let us in. God love, but there is a wording here that I think is tremendous and impactful, and it's these words: "Behold, what manner of the manner or type of love the Father has bestowed on us." There's a difference between sending His Son to the world and extending His love and bestowing it upon someone. And how did He bestow it upon us? In this very fact right here that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Making a distinction between the one who is a child of God and the world. He said he placed his love on us. It's extended to everybody. But when you receive him, you become a son of God. His love is bestowed and put upon you. And it's interesting. He said the world, and see the world will say things like we're all children of God. We're not. He just made a distinction here. We maybe all have been originally created by the Creator, but that does not mean that we are children. Because the world has fallen into spiritual darkness through Adam and Eve. They need a rebirth to be born again and become a child of God. And notice this verse too, it says, Beloved, now, right now, we are children of God. If you connect the verse before, we're called children. We are children. This is God's design. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What's he talking about here? Being children, and someday the Lord is going to return. Someday we are going to be with him. That truth, M&Ms are candy-coated chocolate. Plain or peanut pretzel or almond or whatever else now they have but for us true m&m fans there's plainer peanut it's chocolate covered goodness it's a candy coated shell this truth might be chocolate but it's coated with hope when this truth finds its way in us it doesn't come by itself it comes with an expectation that he is coming he will come or I will go. One way or the other, we're going to meet up. One way or another. And so when we get that truth really settled in us through our relationship with him, 
if you really recognize he's coming or I will go at some point to see him, it will give you a positive expectation. Death no longer becomes a fearful thing. His return is no longer a fearful thing. It's an exciting thing. But then when it really grips us, then we recognize, I need to help other people get ready too. But it's interesting, you see, beloved, verse 2, Now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed to us what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, he sh- we shall be like him. Well, that's pretty good. We're going to be like him. We're going to be changed. We're not going to have this corruptible body. All the stuff of the earth is going to end. So no matter what it's like now, that's kind of what Jesus had, a hope for the future. He said, we shall see him. Uh, he said, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him, these truths have found their way inside. Whenever God gives you a promise, that is real inside of you. It gives you a hope. Whenever you get this hope inside of you, he said, anybody who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure in other words the inward working of this creates a drive in me to do something a certain way it's not about religious rule it's an inward compulsion it's something that's so fixed in me when people's lives begin to become reckless this hope has dissipated or disappeared Because then they no longer will live pure. Oh yeah, I know Jesus is coming. No, it's not living like it should be. Because if it's living like it should be, you'll cast other things aside going, He is coming. Yeah, I know He's coming. No, He said if you have this hope and have it in you, and, and hope is a picture, something you see, you're going to go, oh, he is really coming. He, we're going to be there. He, he said, you will begin to purify yourself just like he is pure. What I'm saying is people who have this hope in them have an inward drive. The inward drive is from God. It's connected to this. It's out of your relationship with him. I'll tell you what, then it's not just i got to do this. It's, I need to do this because something's compelling you from within. 